Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. We left off with Jesus sending out the 12 for the first time. And now there's a little paragraph here that deals with something completely different that Mark inserts for several reasons. We'll get to those. King Herod Antipas had obviously known about Jesus before this time, but here in chapter 6, verse 14, Mark draws our attention to the fact that Jesus' name had become very, very well known. What had gotten Herod's attention was not a poor Jewish rabbi teaching with authority was what got the king's attention. Jesus did that. He drew huge crowds wherever he went, and he performed incredible miracles, especially healings. Described in verse 15, as you look at Mark 6, verse 15, as these miracle, miraculous powers at work in him. Mark says that Jesus' name had become known. And remember that Jesus had just sent out, or had already sent out, his 12 apostles, giving them authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons as Matthew says in his parallel account in Matthew chapter 10. This was more than enough miraculous works in Jesus' name to raise a few eyebrows to even the powers to be in the political world. This account that we're looking at today includes a flashback at how John the Baptist came to be murdered by Herod known as Herod Antipas. Now, before we go any further, we must try to get straight who this Herod is. This Herod was one of the many sons of Herod the Great. The Herod the Great who tried to trick the wise men into revealing where Jesus had been born and then ordered the slaughter of all the baby boys in Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus said that it is better to be Herod the Great's hog than to be his son because he killed so many of his own offspring. This Herod in our account today wasn't really a king, but he was more like a governor. But he did call himself king. After his father Herod the Great died in 4 BC, his territory was divided into four groups of various cities. This Herod, in our account today, known as Herod Antipas, ruled the Gentile areas north and east of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this gets very messy as we keep going. Messy is another way to describe this whole episode. Herodias was the daughter 
of Herod Antipas's half-brother, Aristobulus, and thus his niece. She was also previously married to another of Herod Antipas's half-brothers, Herod Philip, and thus his sister-in-law. Other history accounts of this period noted that Herod Antipas seduced Herodias and persuaded her to leave Philip to become his wife. Herodias' daughter by Philip is the other major player in our episode today, known as Salome. Now, in our account, we find out Herodias is married to Herod Antipas, and thus is Herod's wife. I'll try to call Herod Antipas just Herod now, as long as you know which one's which. This is totally unallowable under Jewish law. Leviticus 18 and 20 is especially. So here's Herod, who is introduced as married to Herodias, his niece, his sister-in-law, and his wife. Most of this account is really a flashback about how John the Baptist came to be murdered by Herod. But why? Why here in this part of the text? Mainly because Herod recognized John the Baptist's link to Jesus. And Jesus' works of power are forcing him to face up to what he had done. He even thinks Jesus is the resurrected John the Baptist. If you are able, would you please stand as I read Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. King Herod heard of it, what Jesus had been doing, what his apostles had been doing when they were sent. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. 
But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe seat it. So Herod thinks that Jesus, who he's been hearing about, is the resurrected John the Baptist. The beginning of verse 14, King Herod heard of it, of all that Jesus had been doing and all that his disciples had been doing, for Jesus' name had become known. And what were the people saying? Did you notice that? Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miracle powers are at work in him. Other people said he's Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said what? John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. It's not hard to see Herod's guilty conscience here, is it? Today's message and the focus of this passage, one of them, one of the biggest focuses is how a person's conscience can die. Here, it's activated. And as we see in the verses to follow, Herod knew he was wrong to have had John executed, but he lacked the courage and even the creativity to do what was right. The rest of this passage is really a flashback about what happened to John the Baptist, which we haven't been told about until now. Straight shooting John the Baptist had let both Herod and Herodias have it. The big problem he confronted Herod with was his incestuous marriage to Herodias, his half-brother Philip's wife and his own niece. And as I said, Leviticus 18, especially verse 16, and Leviticus 20, especially verse 21, explicitly forbid this kind of union. 
John the Baptist didn't just confront Herod once either. Notice as you look at verse 18 what's recorded. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This is in a tense, the imperfect tense, meaning that what John had been saying was being said over and over again and was still being said. Herod seemed to be, like many people, curious and somewhat interested in interesting people. That is, he enjoyed playing with ideas intellectually. He probably had John come to his fortress in Machiris, which was seven miles east of the Dead Sea, up on the top of a mountain. The top was level, and his father had built this incredible fortress. That's where he was. And part of what Herod heard here, he didn't like at all, so he simply kept him there in the dungeon. Herodias played the biggest part in all this, and Herod was afraid of the people's reaction, besides being afraid of Herodias' desire to kill him. But Herod was afraid of the people's reaction if something happened to John. As verse 17 and verse 19 and the first part of verse 20 say, Herod seized John and bound him in prison. Why? For the sake of Herodias. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John. Matthew's parallel account in Matthew 14 Verse 5, we read, And though Herod wanted to put John to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. What a mess. The rest of verse 20 in our text tells us a lot about the state of Herod's conscience. Verse 20, For Herod feared John. Why? This is important. Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. Is that confusing? Not really when you think about it. Why would Herod fear John the Baptist? Because good and truth are terrifying to evil. Someone has said that the truth will make you free, but first it will make you miserable. Many people who come to Christ have this kind of initial experience. Maybe you have. They're confronted with righteousness from God's word or through the witness of someone. And they see their great sin as a result. And they get a peek at the righteousness that's offered by Christ. 
All of a sudden, though, they're then repelled by the whole notion. But then, drawn by that righteousness, they enter into a gracious kind of discomfort that eventually brings them to Christ. That's a big hurdle to get over. But by the Spirit's power, anything is possible. And John the Baptist was so different from anyone Herod knew. We all know that. Clothed with not normal anything, eating not normal anything, called to be the last prophet, really Old Testament prophet. We've already met him. Behold the Lamb of God when Jesus came to the baptism. Jesus called him the greatest of all prophets born to woman. We need to let that sink in when we realize our Lord esteemed him so highly with his special mission of being the one that paved the way for Christ's coming. John the Baptist told Herod what Herod knew was true, but was afraid to do anything about. Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and yet kept him safe. Safe from what? From his wife. Herodias. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. There's no missing what's going on here, the inner turmoil in Herod. There's no doubt that Herod's conscience was being stirred by this man of God. And we could even say that his conscience was starting to come alive, but not for long. Then comes the actual story of Herod's birthday banquet or party. While Herod was greatly conflicted about John, Herodias, who bore the grudge and especially wanted him dead, saw her chance at this party. This just didn't accidentally happen. Notice the word Mark uses at the beginning of verse 21. But an opportunity came. An opportunity for what? An opportunity for Herodias to finagle some kind of situation where she could get John and his mouth shut up and out, and gone forever. Herodias greatly desired to permanently get rid of this intrusive prophet. So, in this marriage, only one acted, while the other one felt trapped, and in his weakness, he gave in. Who was there at this party? This is important. Herod's nobles, his military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. Men only. And the entertainment? 
Herodias' daughter Salome. We know her name from other historical texts. In chapter 6, verse 22 begins this way. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Realizing the occasion and the audience, etc., it doesn't take any imagination to get the point. We should also mention that it was highly improper for a girl of royal blood to dance in such a setting. Only slave girls usually performed at these kind of functions. In other words, this was an incredibly bold move by Herodias. Then Herod rose to a state of pompous extravagance before his guests after this dance occurred and promised Salome anything she wanted, whatever she wished, even up to half of his kingdom. We don't know how intoxicated he was, but it was definitely a part of this scenario, especially the chance to brag and show off in front of all these powerful males. Salome immediately went out to ask her mother. Herodias answered, the head of John the Baptist is what we want. Salome came back, but you notice she added something? She added that she wanted John's head on a platter. In verse 26, we read something very interesting. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Could Herod have gotten out of this predicament? Let's play with that a second. Could he? Yeah. He could have said, hey, Salome, I promised to favor you with a gift. I certainly didn't promise to commit a crime. He could have said, I promise you, not your mother, a gift. Because he obviously knew where this answer came from. He could have said, I see now that I sinned when I made this promise, so I retract it. But that's not what happened. Herodias lacked the courage. He lacked the humility. Maybe the sobriety and clarity of mind necessary to consider any such answers. He didn't want to lose face before his guests and get in the way of his wife's designs. And there's not a person here amongst us that has not been in that kind of a situation and understand this at some level. How many times do we do not do what is right because we fear what other people will think? Or we don't want to lose face and so we follow along. But you see, Herod's conscience now was being violated as he did what he knew he should not do. He stifled his conscience because of what he feared others would think. 
In verses 27 through 29, we see John the Baptist executed, his head brought to Salome on a platter, who then gave it to her mother Herodias. When John the Baptist's disciples heard what happened, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, we need to go back to the beginning. Verses 14 through 16 again. Since the day when Herod had executed John the Baptist, Jesus' ministry had continued to flourish. That's the setting. He'd heard about Jesus so much that he heard how highly Jesus' name had been lifted as people who maybe weren't even following him, knew that there was something special about this man. And Herod, like us, had tried to put away from his conscience his evil deed of executing John. But as so often happens to us as well, something occurs that brings all of it back. And we know how this works. Something triggers it. He tried to put away from his conscience what he did in executing John. And what happens to us is similar. This something occurs that brings it back. And what people find out, what we found out, what Herod found out was that he just could not escape it. The news of Jesus' miraculous powers and authoritative teaching reached Herod, and all of a sudden he was literally shaken to his core. In verse 16, we read that when Herod heard what Jesus was doing, can you believe he says this? Everybody else was saying it was something else. And he says, John, whom I beheaded. Whom I beheaded has been raised. This is graphic language. The I is emphatic. We could translate this as I am the one. I did it. The sense here is that Herod said this again and again, desperately responding to his conscience, calling him to what? His conscience was calling him to what? Repentance and forgiveness. But there was no repentance, no radical turning, just a futile speculation based on his own pagan spiritualism, that this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. This did not lead him to Christ. He would not repent. He would not turn. He would not believe. His conscience could never be delivered this way. Do we realize that the vast percentage of issues 
that people have in life is because of this reason? God made us with a conscience that brings us to bear with our true need of forgiveness and salvation in His Son. Every person. And people have the opportunity to bring it to bear and to deal with it. And if they do not deal with it and do not know that Christ is the only answer, they end up living lives of despair and slavery and guilt, which leads to what? The the list of issues is endless. And nowadays we give them names that do not admit where the heart problem really is. We call it all sorts of stuff. Christ died so that those who know him and believe in him are delivered from their guilt, the guilt of their sin. And when we still sin, those who know Christ, we run to the cross humbly, gratefully, knowing that Christ took our sin that causes our guilt upon himself. That's what it means to be free. People who do not know Christ may say they are living the most free lifestyle in the world, meaning they can do whatever they want. Know that they are not free. Know that most of the time they know they're not free. Let's continue and see what Herod did. What happened? His conscience could never be delivered in this way, and neither can anybody else's. Just think of some of the ridiculous things our culture has said over the years and how to deal with a guilty conscience. Just go out in the forest and scream. That'll get rid of it for a few minutes. Now, maybe a few minutes. Does it come back? Yes. What else can people come become enslaved to in order to deal with the guilt of their conscience? Name any addiction on the face of the earth, and that is one way. Why don't people go home after work? Why do they plaster themselves in 50 million different ways? Because of guilt in their lives. And so they just try to eradicate it with everything. Drugs, alcohol, addictive behaviors. You name it, it happens. Christ came to free us. He didn't create us to go through that. He created us to know him and the joy of knowing the creator himself. Only the gospel of Christ, the Messiah, offers true life and forgiveness. You can't pay penance for your guilt. It works temporarily. It will not work forever. 
In the Middle Ages, monks who claimed to know the name of Christ, but most or many didn't, beat themselves to smithereens, shedding blood in crazy ways in order to try to beat the sin out of them so that they could pay for it themselves. We cannot pay for it. Christ is the one who must pay for it, or we will end up paying for it in the day of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's always sad to observe the death of a conscience and ultimately the death of a soul. Herod's conscience had died. Is that true? Is that what happened to him? The last time Herod appears in Scripture is when Jesus was sent from Pilate to this Herod during Jesus' trials right before he was crucified. In Luke chapter 23, verses 8 through 11, we read this. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he'd heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But Jesus made no answer. The chief priest and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Here we see Herod's conscience was gone. He wanted to see Jesus, why? For his own amusement. There was no trace of healthy fear or spiritual conviction at all. Herod stood face to face with Christ, who is absolute righteousness and absolute goodness, and he saw nothing in him. In other words, it is possible to so squash the repeated warnings of your conscience that it dies. What's the primary lesson here for those who have not believed and entrusted themselves to Christ? If Christ has been moving your conscience, if you realize your personal sin and that Christ is perfect righteousness, then you must believe in him and rest in him. What's the lesson for the believer? A neglected conscience will progressively become desensitized to God so that you don't hear him when he speaks through his word. So we must cultivate our conscience by filling our minds with God's word and then obeying it. Let's pray that 
God will give us a conscience worthy of our position in him. And as we prepare now for the Lord's table, isn't this the focus of this whole story? Yes, it is. This is a meal that Christ initiated on the night that he was betrayed, right before he was arrested. And he initiated this not for the physical body, but for the soul, for us to remember, for us who do know him, to be an incredible reminder not to let our conscience begin to be seared. Scripture teaches us that we receive true spiritual nourishment when we focus on and believe in Christ, who he is and what he's done. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or communion, that's the same word, in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation a communion in the body of Christ. And this is a reality that is hard to describe. But we leave it with what God says in his word. Our souls are nourished because we are believing in Christ's person and saving work for us. And therefore, we obey Christ as a church and we take this meal We'll have further instructions about this meal in just a moment. First, we sing.